Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. So it is Payrolls Friday. Your estimates look like this in our Bloomberg survey. The median estimate, 145,000 from a previous read in the previous month of 130,000. Pleased to say that joining us on the phone to kick our coverage off, Tom Porcelli, RBC Capital Markets Chief, US Economist. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Very, very well. Let's start with what you're looking for in the payrolls report in around about 90 minutes time. Yeah, so we're looking for 150,000 private jobs, um, which, you know, it's funny. People keep on uh, sort of wondering, hey, you know, but isn't job growth slowing down? Yeah, job growth is slowing down, but that's not news, right? I, I think most people that were looking for uh, that forecast this stuff, we're looking for job growth to, to slow down this year. So, so, so we're getting it, right? I mean, we averaged what? Close to 250,000 jobs, 225,000 jobs last year. Uh, and we're averaging about 158,000 jobs this year. So, um, uh, you know, it, it, the, the, the slowdown has started, but but again, I, I think people love people love simple, right? People love to sort of look at one number or one report, and 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 based on one single number, try to derive whether or not this report was good or bad. And to be honest, the payroll report is not the thing you should be doing that with. I mean, there's too many moving parts. So if people are going to be glued to their eco screens today on their Bloomberg terminals and only looking at the change in jobs, you're never going to get a good sense for whether this was a good or bad report. There's way too too many other moving parts to, to sort of decipher this report based on one single number. Well, let's dig into it. Let's talk yep. with a little bit more detail, Tom. You've made the point that average hourly earnings is the thing to watch here, and it really helps explain this tug of war between what's happening with the headcount but what is actually happening with the average hourly earnings really explains what is happening with the headcount. Just walk me through that dynamic. Yeah. So, 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 Jonathan, this is this is exactly right. I, I think you know if we take a step back and just sort of keep this basic for a second, why do we care about the payroll report? Um, it's not because we actually want to know how many jobs were gained. I mean, that's obviously helpful information, but that's that, that's not the, the sort of the essence of what we why we look at this thing. The reason we look at this thing is because we want to know if if the consumer has the ability to spend. I mean, you know, that's what it effectively comes down to. And, and so when, when, when you look at this report, the, the, your key takeaway is supposed to be, well, what are aggregate wages doing? And so when you think about aggregate wages, aggregate wages are made up of a few things. It's basically the, it's a combination of headcount, it's a combination of hours, and it's a combination of uh, hourly wages. So when you disaggregate the payroll report in this way, which, by the way, to, to my earlier point on you can't look at a single number. Um, I've just given you three that you need to pay attention to. So when, when, you, pay, when you break it down, what you see uh, over recent uh, um, months, and, and in fact, over the right. last couple of years in particular, guess what the key driver of those three components, guess what the key driver has been of aggregate wages? Right. It's hourly wages, right? And then followed uh, um, up by hours and then followed in a distant third by headcount. So if you really want to get a sense for what the consumer's ability is to continue to drive consumption, this is the right way of thinking about the sport. And let, let me be clear. This is always true. I don't care where you are in the cycle. I don't care. It doesn't mean anything that job growth is slowing down right now. When job growth is killing it, you're still supposed to be looking at the, the, the decomposition in this way. If we get a gloomy number and if we get yields through the 30-year bond through 2.00, the 10-year test, the September lows of a lower yield, do we all of a sudden shift to a Fed analysis of December 11? Yeah, so I think 
you know, it, it, I thought it was very interesting that um, uh, Charlie Evans uh, basically said, you know, I, I think we're basically done with, with cuts, right? I, I, you know, he said this, what was it, last week, that, you know, he does not have any additional cuts uh, baked in. Now, I thought that was interesting in, in, in and of itself. I mean, if for no other reason than he's, you know, we have him sort of plastered on the extreme dub side of, uh, of, of the equation. So I think it actually goes to sort of really drive home. The hurdle is, I think, growing incrementally higher to see further cuts. Now, make no mistake, we expect that the Fed is going to cut at, at the end of this month. And, we, and, even, and Evans is a voter. Um, but they'll, they'll have plenty of votes to basically get another cut through. The question is, what happens in December? Um, right now, we do not expect uh, any additional cuts. Uh, we, we don't know if, if, if the votes will appear. But if you continue to get soft you know, sort of sentiment data, which, you know, clearly people are hypersensitive to, um, as, as, as we should be, um, then I think that all, all of a sudden will put December ba- uh, back into play. The, the market, for, for the Fed, I mean, make no mistake, the market already expects December is going to happen. Um, but it's not a foregone conclusion for the Fed. So I think, yeah. and look, I, ne- I hate putting any emphasis on, on one single number. Oh, what we like this- when you do. <laughs> but I do think that this report um, will, will sort of go a long way to um, either embolden those folks that think we need further cuts or or not. Tom, everything you thought would happen is happening. You told us that payroll's growth would need to decelerate. It has, it is. You said that GDP would have to return to trend growth. Arguably, it has, it is. Then we've all been punched in the face by a growth scare and many people have been gripped by these end of cycle anxiety fears that it's yeah. all over, that it's different this time. It's not 2011-12, it's not 15-16, yep. Tom. Yep. Make that very sensible forecast underpinned by some really reasonable analysis that that's all this is, a return to trend growth and payrolls growth decelerating just in the way that you expected. Yeah, so and, and, and it's, it's funny. So I'm, I'm going to answer your question in maybe a slightly different way than, than, than you want me to, but, but I think this is maybe more compelling. I, I, I find this, what I'm about to say, sort, sort of interesting. Um, I, I feel like in a lot of ways we've, we've, been, um, you know, we've, we've been pretty steadfast in our view, uh, and, and we remain steadfast in, in our view uh, of exactly as you just summarized it, that you know, this is not some you know, slowing into a recession, although, of course, a recession is going to happen at some point, obviously. Um, but, you know, this is just a sort of a, 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 a slowing from a, a higher rate of growth uh, and will stabilize sort of, you know, roughly around here. But here's the thing. Um, this is a very hard sell for people. Um, people, uh, people don't want to hear this sort of uh, um, chatter. All, all, they, all people, it seems, it's funny, I, I, wrote, I wrote this yesterday. It's, you know, there, was this, there was this phrase that, um, you know, sort of uh, bad is good, right? And they were talking about this with regard to data, and, and, and their point was, well, look, even if we get bad data, it's good because it means the Fed is going to cut. Um, which is perverse in every way, by the way. I mean, but whatever. This is what the market had been sort of saying. I think that now we've sort of shifted. I think now the I think what the idiom now is good is bad. And what I mean by that is, you know, the other day we had uh, auto sales, and auto sales by basically any measure killed it. It was 17.2 million units. Uh, it was consensus was 17, and the previous month was 16.9. I did not know that. Units. We did yeah. 17 millions of autos. Uh, yeah, but, but I had but, no idea. But look, in fairness, if you were to read one of your Bloomberg articles, you know, all you heard was that auto sales collapsed. 
And I was like, I, I reached out to the to, to the authors, and I was like, what, what are you guys talking nice. about? Like, what are you seeing? Well, I think and they were pointing to some very specific sounds from Japanese automakers, Tom, before they, we got the full picture. They, they were. Our Bentley sales. But, but they, they, well, Honda basically fell yeah. pretty dramatically. But nevertheless, I, I, and maybe they followed up and, and they changed the headline, which I sincerely hope they did. But when I saw the headline at 3 p.m. Um, on auto sales day, it was still that really egregiously wrong headline. And so anyway, and I'm not picking on them. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think... I spoke to them, and, and that's exactly what they told me. Uh, it was about this Honda thing. Nevertheless, the narrative the next day was all about how auto sales collapsed. And it wasn't just a Bloomberg thing. It was all over the place. And I was like, well, I, don't, I just don't understand what people are talking about. So I started to dig into it a little bit. Then basically what people were do- doing is that they were looking at these sort of the disaggregated numbers. Um, and the problem with looking at the disaggregated numbers, which, by the way, no one yeah, does. Uh, yeah. But if you're trying to sell a weak story, I guess that's a good way of going about it. But there's so many problems with looking at disaggregated. It doesn't take into account selling day differences from month to month. It doesn't take into account, you know, sort of shifts in holidays. And yeah. so it's like my point in saying all of this is I think <clears> – People are people. People want to hear a bad story. I mean, that's the sense yeah. that I get right now. And so <clears throat> I, I'm happy to tell you guys how things look really good. And I'm sure we've run out of time in that regard. We have. But nevertheless, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. Nevertheless, I feel like it's really fired hard. up. It's hard to sell that. Fired up this hey, morning. Tom Priscilli, RBC Capital Markets. And now joining us, Ellen Zentner, their chief U.S. economist. Ellen, you cut your teeth on consumption analysis long ago and far away. What is the state of the American consumer into this jobs report? So, you know, if we look in the aggregate, right, things look fine for the households. Balance sheets are good. Credit is flowing. Uh, we're creating jobs, incomes are rising, confidence is off of its highs, but it's still high. Um, but, you know, since the financial crisis, we don't look at anything in the aggregate anymore. It just doesn't make sense in the aggregate. The household experience is so different across income levels uh, that you look at the lowest income households, and, of course, they're still struggling with rents and health care being a high share of uh, their income. Uh, they did get some support last year from the tax cuts, but we don't cut taxes again this year, so now we're we're comping to that. Uh, so it's just, it's a, it's a mixed bag for households. At the upper end, uh, you know, upper income folks got uh, hit uh, by the tax cuts last year in terms of not getting as much back. And I'm not playing violin here for anyone, um, but it's a fact of the matter. We've got tourism that's down. That goes into luxury spending. A lot of pent-up demand has been met there. How many personal aircraft can you buy, Tom? I mean, I'm asking you. <laughs> I, 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 but, uh, I like how you're not asking me because this is a true story. How, how many yeah. are you buying? No, we've just got one. We decided not to upgrade on the, the leaseback thing. We decided that we'd stay with the, the three. These are the important things, Alan. Carry on. Yeah, so 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 bottom line, right, we're, we've seen consumption slowing. I mean, there's this idea out there that the consumer is just unstoppable. If you look on a year-over-year basis, consumption is slowing because job growth is slowing. Income is growing at a slower pace. Um, and so the question is, on a lot of these metrics, whether it's consumer or job-related, is this acceptable slowdown or is this something that the slowdown continues and moves through worrisome levels toward recession? That's what people are trying to grapple with. Right now, the consumer looks like it's slowing back toward more of a trend rate. There's nothing yet that tells us that it should be falling off the cliff. And a lot of that is because layoffs have been so low. And unless we're laying off people, it's kind of hard to put the consumer down altogether. 
So Ellen, let's talk about that with a little bit more detail to get your baseline. Tom Porcelli of RBC was on this show around about 50 minutes ago telling a similar story about the return to trend growth, that it didn't have to be something we feared. Do you see it being anything worse than that, Ellen? Well, certainly there's the risk. And look, we built in the uh, downsides in the ISM uh, numbers this week. It did raise our recession probability model. Now it raised it up to about 20%. As people would say one in five is still a pretty good chance. Of, uh, I mean, a pretty low chance this late in the cycle. Um, but it is too early to judge that these data are slowing towards something more sinister. You know, I think Janet Yellen a couple of weeks ago, uh, if I paraphrase her, she captured it very well. We should be seeing a slowdown in jobs now. The tighter the labor market yeah. gets, the slower job okay. creation is. And it allows the Fed to be even more accommodative if you're putting less and less right. downward pressure on the unemployment rate. You know that theory, Tom. It's just we're trying to, to gauge whether we're headed there uh, or not. I, I get the idea we've got a crystal ball out, unlike uh, the president of the United States who wants action now. But is the real tip point of this jobs report, we begin to migrate to an analysis of December 11. For you, is that year-end meeting a dead meeting, or will it have some character intention to it? Yeah, it's, well, it's definitely not going to be a dead meeting. I mean, now that, uh, you know, the December meeting actually ends up being one of the most closely watched, because Thank what you. message is the Fed going to send in their dot plot? Because they set expectations for the year ahead in their dot plot. And since markets are uncertain and we don't know whether we're headed toward just uh, slowing back to trend or something uh, below trend, the thing is is that the Fed is going to show – they're not going to show a whole lot of cuts – in uh, yeah. in that December dot plot. They just don't, Tom. They don't prejudge failure. Do they teach the dot plots in Texas? No. The dot <laughs> plot is something very new. And believe me, a lot of us are, you know, not too happy with the dot plot. It can be confusing at times and confuse markets at times, but it's it's here to stay. I mean, the Fed is a very slow moving beast, and when it when it introduces something, it's it's nearly impossible to take it away. Yellen tried during her time to change it to something like a fan chart, so it basically made it useless. But you still put it out there. I think we could still move in that direction, but at times it proves very useful, and at other times it proves to be very detrimental. Um, the market is going to look for the Fed to indicate that it would be providing further cuts in 2020. Uh, and it's unlikely that the dot plot would show that unless you've got enough of them prejudging that they're still not at the right uh, level for policy. And then outside the dot plot, within the summary of economic projections, the forecast for growth from the Fed at the moment for 2020 is 2% GDP growth. Do you think that's a little bit too optimistic? No, but this is a this is a uh, an arithmetic exercise, John. So the first half of the year came in so strong for GDP, and we're tracking uh, roughly around one and a half percent for the third quarter. In order to get growth much down below two percent, on and this is on a Q4 over Q4 basis, yeah. you have to put some really nasty numbers in for the fourth quarter. Yeah, not, so. not nineteen, Ellen. Sorry, twenty twenty. Oh, for twenty twenty GDP. Yeah, no, I could see downside to that. Absolutely. Uh, you know the the the, the, what, the base effects that we're looking at going into that December meeting will will matter when they update those forecasts. But the downside risks yeah. are tremendous here, and I think that that will put downward pressure on those forecasts going how, forward. Ellen, how barbell is the American labor economy? I mean, you know, we spout about three percent or two point or four percent wage growth, but how much is that going to the haves, and how much of that is not going to the have-nots? 
So the the actual wage pressures and the pace of wage gains is actually stronger at the lower end than the top end. But you're talking about affecting those with the lowest wage bill. And so this is why when we raise minimum wage growth, it doesn't show up that much in the aggregate because you're you're marginally raising the most marginally paid workers pay. And so that's where, you know, restaurants, leisure, hospitality, that's where a lot of the jobs have been created in this expansion. So that's where the pressures are. Restaurants have been complaining about having enough uh, workers because one, when conditions get better, they go somewhere else to get paid more. Uh, So that's where the tighter labor markets are at that low end of the pay scale. So when we talk about wage pressures there, that doesn't, it's wage pressures for the very lowest paid. And so I think that's important. At the, at the right. top end, you know, any wage pressures there are coming from a lack of skilled labor. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, that's structural problems. And now folks, surveillance throwback to the late, great Ken Pruitt. And we have to do this in honor of Ken and ask Ellen Zentner, our fly fisher. Mm-hmm. Have you fished Argentina? So it's, it's funny you ask. So my husband tells me that I'm a really odd person because I've been looking forward to my 50th birthday for years well, now. Because 10 years. We are <laughs> in two years, Tom. So so uh, we are going to Argentina and Chile to fish uh, Patagonia on both sides. Great. Uh, and that is, and Ken, Ken would have loved it. I just yeah. got back from fly fishing uh, on Sunday. Yeah. We fly fished Montana. And you know, we just, we used to love to drive you crazy by talking about fly fishing. It was just, I'd be sitting there looking at the ceiling, John and Ken Pro, the trout the size of your leg. Ellen, are you going to Argentina? <laughs> Can we do a field trip? Can <clears throat> we, we come do with a you, road Ellen? trip. Yeah. I really, you know, frankly, folks, and, and this is in support of what Ellen's done uh, for the fishing industry, I can't say enough about the images of Argentina. It is just, it must be just surreal uh, to go down there. Ellen Zentner, we'll leave it at that. Thank Ellen, you so thank much you. for the discussion of, uh, uh, of uh, Argentina and I don't think and she wants the American us labor with her economy. on her 50th birthday I don't think celebrations. She does, but she's, just not, a guess. she's lying. She's, it's like, yeah, she's like 39 and holding her, something like that. Her calls have been great. We, we bust her chops, but uh, Ms. Zentner has been extraordinary on modeling from 3% Trumpian GDP on down and on what the Fed would do. It has been an extraordinary streak for Morgan Stanley. John, why don't you bring in our next guest here on the linkage of this employment report and the revisions up into a better feeling for the market versus the gloom of the last three days. And look at that unemployment rate as well, 3.5%. Let's bring in Jeff Rosenberg, shall we? BlackRock Systematic Fixed Income Team Senior Portfolio Manager. Jeff, great to have you with us on the program. Your first take, please. Well, you know, it's great to be on an audio program because we can do something on radio that you can't do on television, and that is we can listen to something very carefully. And what do we hear? That is the sound of relief. Yeah. That's what's going on in the market reaction. There was a lot of fear that we were going to get another data point. Had a lot of recessionary signals over the last two weeks. This is a sign of relief, a sigh of relief. It doesn't mean that the recession risk is past us, but it doesn't accelerate that narrative that 
all the signs were pointing to recession. This is a sign that you still have strength in the labor market. The consumer is uh, offsetting force to the global slowdown, to the trade uncertainty. Yeah. We'll see how long it lasts for, but you know the revisions, I mean, I wouldn't read too much into the headline being a little bit less. This is an okay report. It's good enough. It wasn't a Big right. disappointment. And the earnings are a little bit of a disappointment, but you got some noise in those reports. Should we do a shout out to Carl Riccadonna, John? Please do. We have to do it. I mean, Carl Riccadonna nailed this. Why don't you continue with Jeff Rosenberg? Jeff, what we are seeing, though, is a spread between the soft data and the hard data. It gets a bit wider. The ISM's through the week, not pretty. The data I see on the screen right now, okay. Jeff, how do you explain away that story at the moment? How do you expect it to develop in the coming months? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a difference in what we're reflecting. I mean, the, the soft data, the survey data is very much influenced by what's going on on the industrial side. Yes, it was non-manufacturing as well. So you're seeing that this week, you're seeing that spill over, but that's much more influenced by sentiment. And sentiment on the industrial side, on the manufacturing side, uh, is weak. And it's weak because we've seen a collapse in exports. And, and that's very much the, the consequence of trade and trade uncertainty. That's not new. It's been building for a long time. You can see it in even, even earlier measures of survey and sentiment, soft data. Uh, when you looked at CEO and business leader confidence that, that had been dropping off, what you see today in the hard data of yeah. payroll and wages is what's been holding up the consumer side. You still see fairly strong consumer confidence. That story is going to be with us, that dichotomy between right. the two sides of the economy. Parse the deciles, because when I look at this, there's one big number there, and I don't mean to be a gloom crew here, folks, but the fact is I'm looking at a line of average hourly earnings flat, 0.0%, and it says to me that the blended macro view, and Jeff, you're great at this, you got to parse this to quintiles or deciles, and it tells me that, yeah, this is great data. Yes, the markets are better, but there's still a large part of America not seeing a wage raise. So, so the, the details of the distribution is a really important point. But beyond the, the, this month's weekly earnings, uh, monthly earnings change, th there's been a, a bigger story that the strength and the persistence of the labor market in different segments of the labor market, you're seeing greater benefits accruing to the lower end of the labor force. So we see this by parsing out not so much the wages, but parsing out where have the biggest declines in the unemployment rate come from. Right, they've where have they been? From, they've come from the lower end of the distribution of, of workers. When I say lower end, when we, we can parse the data by education, for example. Uh, and so that's where you're seeing the strength and the broadening of the consumer confidence, because those right. areas are much more focused on the changes in real wage income, which is a function of wage rates and do I have a job? What are my hours worked? The combination of all that uh, has been lifting that income, and that's been a big support to the consumption side. Okay, I want to get back to, to the, the interest rate market as well. We've seen this dash in yields. A 30-year bond, folks, really not moving all that much. It was a 202 and now 203. But give us a, the, the, the Jeff Rosenberg view forward of what yields tell us given this better jobs report. Well, you know, just on the moment, just 
today. What are the yields telling us? It's the it was my premise at the beginning. It's a little bit of a sigh of relief. So the front yeah, end okay. of the curve is selling off. But if we back off from that, the bond market has been worried about recession and pricing in Fed action to forestall that recession uh, for a long time. And it's still doing that. So mm. away from the noise of today's uh, payroll. They're still looking for a negative GDP number. But what's the BlackRock call on the run rate of GDP into interest rates. Are you are you modeling a 2% America or do you have to finally model below that? Well, what you're what we're in in terms of the model and the regime is the risk of recession because that's clearly what the ISM's survey data, the extension of the labor market. I mean, there's a perversity to 3.5% unemployment rate that very low unemployment rates are are actually a, a future signal of recession because you are getting to, in a typical historical context, an overheating kind of environment for the labor market that typically doesn't doesn't last. So you're in that late cycle indicators, which are warning of recession, but you, we're not yet in yeah, but recession. To your to your good analysis, Jeff Rosenberg, are we in a normal cycle? I would suggest the vast majority of my listeners don't agree with that. There's something no, original I'm not, I'm not, going on. I'm not saying this is – every cycle is unique. Uh, so this one is, is certainly unique, buffeted by an extension of the cycle, <clears throat> zero and in negative interest rates. But where we are today is the third, uh, quote-unquote, quote mid-cycle slowdown. What's the difference between a mid-cycle slowdown and a pre-recession? The outcome. So if the outcome of the current slowdown is recession, then this will end the cycle. If it's the way the last two and where most mid-cycle slowdowns end up, three out of four mid-cycle slowdowns don't end in recession. It's the third one of this extended cycle. So we don't really know which way that's going to go. A little sigh of relief here because of the strength of the consumer. And the, and the debate is policy response, global policy response against continuation of trade and political uncertainty. Yeah. This has been wonderful, Jeff. Jeffrey Rosenberg, thank you so much. You're always important. Love to have Jeff Rosenberg on on Fed Day. That was Scarlett Fu as well. And we do this with a, a better tone to the market. Tiffany Wilding is aged today at PIMCO. Now she has to blow up her report because of a good jobs report. She well, I'm kidding. She welcome, uh, we welcome her right now. Uh, Tiffany Wilding, uh, Andrew Balls was on earlier, and there's a PIMCO call of sub-2% GDP. Does this better-than-good unemployment report give you pause to a sub-2% GDP call? Um, well, well, thanks for having me, first of all. you know, So I would say about today's report that it was better than – um, better than feared, given the um, uh, ISM or uh, ISM manufacturing and non-manufacturing yeah. reports. But I would say overall, today's report is still consistent with the slowing U.S. economy. Um, if you look at private payroll growth, six-month moving average basis, it's around just above uh, 100,000 jobs per month, and that's down from 200 last year. You know, so so we are certainly slowing. Now, I think you know today's report should probably you know assuage some of the fears that the U.S. economy is collapsing. It's certainly not, but but. 
it is certainly slowing. You know, and I, th- I think the key question here is is whether you know we should be slowing as we get um, you know as the the economy becomes late cycle, just because you have fewer people. Uh, to in the labor force to 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 draw on for jobs, you know, mm. and that's certainly happening. Yeah. But I think more is happening here. I think there's also some cyclical weakness in the economy, and yeah. it's not just the manufacturing uh, sector. Is this Dwight David Eisenhower's 3.5 percent unemployment rate? I, I, I mean, I, we've talked to a number of people this morning, and I get the idea. It's a stunning statistic, but so many of our listeners are going, uh, really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be careful about that that 3.5 unemployment rate. Now, it is it is very low historically, and that's great, um, and it is consistent with the you know still a solid labor market. But but you have to you know it's in terms of the direction of travel more broadly, and I think in the context of slowing, um, what you could be seeing with the unemployment rate is that you have fewer people that are being drawn into the labor market. Um, and so then the participation rate, um, instead of the steady gains that we've seen over the last six months, it starts to level out or maybe even it fall a little bit. So what that can mean for the unemployment rate is it actually takes, you know, a, another leg down before mm. it starts moving up. You know, yeah. as as you mentioned before, yeah. our forecasts are for for one percent growth. That's yeah. well below trend. And so in that environment, you should see the unemployment rate ticking up, and we expect that in the next several quarters. Michael Beschloss emails, and I'm kidding. We we adore <laughs> Michael Beschloss's work. I apologize. I have to go back to December of 1969. This is Richard Nixon and okay. Spiro T. Agnew's unemployment rate. <laughs> exactly. Not Dwight David Eisenhower. So, Tiffany, I think one of the economic calls out there, certainly for the bulls, is yes, we know manufacturing is kind of rolling over. We had a you know that uh, real negative uh, manufacturing uh, PMI. Um, but the consumer is still strong, and the consumer will carry this economy to 2% plus. At what point does... Um, that not really hold water anymore. So what, at what point does the employment picture suggest that there's downside to that scenario? Well, yeah, well, certainly if you start to see negative, uh, you know, negative uh, reports, negative private payroll changes per month, that's going to impact the consumer. You know, but but just taking a step back, when you have slowing um, business output, slowing revenue growth, slowing profitability, then then what you do as a, as a corporation is you have to adjust both your CapEx numbers and your your labor costs. Um, and so that that's what we're seeing now. I think you, you have firms that are that are moving back and not hiring um, at such a brisk pace. We've even seen some decline in, in aggregate hours in certain sectors. Um, and, and and so that that will impact aggregate income growth. And ultimately, that feeds through to real consumption. And, and just one other point on this is that, you know, uh, consumer sentiment has remained relatively elevated. Um, and, and that's despite, you know, some of the trade tensions and, and other market volatility that we've seen. You know, that's something that we're watching very closely. Consumer sentiment started to deteriorate a little bit in August, you know, and that was also coinciding with some more weak with some weakness in real consumption and a tick higher in the savings rate you know so that is i think that consumer sentiment number is what we're really watching you know it's it's sort of uncertain on on when when that should start to deteriorate but the last point that i would just make is late cycle consumers always tend to be relatively um uh you know uh, the, the outlook is relatively good until it's not and then you start to see consumer sentiment drop so Tiffany, I, I'm, I continue to be, you know, a little uh, concerned about the uh, the wage growth. Uh, even if it's, I know it was sub three percent here, but uh, this month, but just even three percent, low three percent, is that consistent with what we should be expecting with an economy that is at or near full employment? It just seems a little on the weak side. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I, I think that's that's the result of, of just secular trends towards lower productivity, secular trends towards, um, you know, a reduced ability of, of, of labor to bargain, mm -hmm. although we're seeing a little bit more of that. You know, labor share um, is the thing that economists love to look at. It's labor share of aggregate income, um, economy-wide income. You know, and when that's starting to go up, that suggests we are late cycle and, and that labor um, can ba uh, bargain for higher is it wages. Going up? We're not really we're not really seeing that. Um, it's yeah. gone up maybe a little bit, but but not that much. So, you know, I think these secular trends in the labor market will continue to, to sort of dampen average yeah. hourly earnings. And, you know, the, the 3% today is, is equivalent adjusting for all of that to 4% in the previous cycle. That's absolutely brilliant. Tiffany Wilding, thank you so much. Greatly, greatly appreciate it with PIMCO uh, this morning. It is a once-a-month conversation. Our John Farrell with Lawrence Kudlow of the White House. Let us listen in. From the White House, now we can get the reaction from the administration. I want to welcome our listeners from Bloomberg Radio and for Bloomberg TV. Larry Kudlow joins us now, the National Economic Council Director. Good morning to you, Larry. Morning, Jonathan. Thank you. Always great to see you. The week, the data that was, the soft data has been really choppy, Larry. It's been really soft. Then the hard data this morning, the jobs report, was okay. What are your thoughts, your assessment on that distinction between the soft data, which is looking a little bit weak at the moment, and the hard data, which is still pretty resilient? Well, there's a lot of good data out there, and there's some soft data, but I just want to note, I mean, look, for Americans across the country, the headline number here is a 3.5% unemployment rate. It is a 50-year low. I think that's a tremendous achievement, and it's well distributed, Jonathan. Uh, African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians, even people uh, below high school diplomas. It's a phenomenal achievement, and all Americans should be proud of this. And regarding the payroll numbers, look, at you got uh, 136,000, but as you know, I'm sure you reported already, the upward revisions for uh, July and especially August, 45,000. So really, today's number on payrolls is 181,000. And then finally, I want to kind of repeat what we talked about a month ago. If you look under the hood, one of the most important indicators of employment is the household survey, where they question individuals who, many cases, own or work in a small business. The household survey was up 391,000. It's another staggering number. Last month was 590, the prior two months around 250. The average, Jonathan, there yeah. for the household survey, now remember, it is the household survey that produces the unemployment rate which also dovetails into the labor force participation rate and the employment ratios, all of which went up. You're looking at this tremendous move in the household survey, the four-month change. I hate to look at my cards, but I'm not smart enough to remember all these statistics. But that thing is up 378,000 in the last four months. Now, a couple points here. Again, this tends to be small business and entrepreneurial. Many economists, many good business economists will tell you 
The household survey, looking under the hood, is a leading indicator of the payroll survey, which measures the larger corporations. I, I think this is a fabulous development, and it suggests to me, as I've been thinking all along, with uh, market interest rates coming down at 100 basis points in the last few months, I think the economy is now in a turning zone. And I think we've had a soft two quarters, but I think now we're going to be moving into a much stronger economic story. Larry, that's hopeful, but the data elsewhere paints a different picture. You know here on Wall Street, the leading indicators are the ISMs. I remember last week there was a news conference with the president, Donald Trump, and he asked you to stand up and talk about the PMIs. So let's talk about the PMIs, the ISMs. The ISM this week was really not good, Larry. The export, new export orders number came in in the low 40s. It looks like that trade disruption globally is starting to come through here in the United States. Do you not see that in the data, Larry? Well, I don't know. Let's, let's just spend a moment on that. You're quite right about the ISM manufacturing. By the way, the ISM services, I know it slipped a bit, but it's still in powerful territory. The market uh, manufacturing, the market's PMI uh, was actually quite strong. That's what the president spoke about at the UN. Uh, I want to make a point though. I know it is commonplace to say the manufacturing slowdown is a function of the, um, the ch China trade discussion. But can I give you just a little counter view here? I I'm, we've seen our exports to China, our manufacturing exports to China come down. Okay, that is correct. But you know what? By far, the biggest problem we have regarding manufacturing and manufacturing exports is Europe and especially Japan. You want to hear some numbers just real quick because I racked these up last night. China exports of manufacturing is down about uh, 50 billion dollars. Okay. Canada and Mexico, which are bigger trading partners, uh, manufacturing exports to those two countries, $100 billion down. This is in the last uh, three, four months. Germany alone, which is in recession, we have lost $150 billion in manufacturing exports to Germany. The numbers, Larry, are terrible. I, the numbers are terrible. I, I, I totally zone, agree with you. We can go, do Eurozone-wide. We can do if them I all. Go Eurozone, if I go Eurozone-wide, Jonathan, the, you know, the trouble with the story here is not in my judgment that President Trump is trying to drive a good and hard bargain to protect the American economy uh, from Chinese unfair and unlawful trading practices. I mean, that's ongoing and that's a high priority. And I'm sure you and I'll get to that in a minute. The real trouble factually is the collapse of the European economy, most particularly in Germany. So America's great manufacturing companies have lost a huge export market. Again, let me repeat this. Germany alone, Germany alone cost us $150 billion in manufacturing exports. That's not a tariff question. That's because they're not growing. They're not uh, cutting taxes and deregulating. So I just want to make that point. China really isn't the problem right now. They're bearing the brunt, I think, 
of our tariffs. It's the German story and the European story that yeah. needs to be improved. Larry, we're going to get screamed at because we're not moving quick enough. So let me move through some of these stories Sorry, a little I'm, bit faster. I'll go fast. But I worked so hard to prepare these numbers. I know you, you did, and you've got them across quite clearly. There will be people screaming <laughs> at the TV, though, saying the reason Europe is weak is because of trade. This isn't from me. This is from the chair of the Institute for Supply Management. Global trade remains the most significant issue, as demonstrated by the contraction in new export orders that began in July 2019. Let's just get to the trade talks next week, October yes. 10th. Most people are trying to work out to what degree the slowdown in the economic data constrains the administration's ability to carry on pushing China. Are you saying, despite the weakness that we're seeing in the economy worldwide and in the United States very slowly creeping through, that doesn't change the, the approach from the United States going into next week? No, look, I mean, if you aggregate all the numbers, Jonathan, uh, we're about two and a half percent growth in the first half of this year. And I think we'll get at least that much in the second half of this year. So we're in a pretty strong position. China, on the other hand, which is really bearing the brunt of these tariffs, either through their devalued currency or price cuts or profit losses or supply chain movements, they're in much worse shape. By the way, those Chinese numbers, I don't know if you saw the Harvard study, you got to take the Chinese GDP and subtract about two percentage points. All right. So it's uh, much lower than people thought. Now, I want to have the negotiations. Our team is going in open minded. So this coming week, uh, Monday and Tuesday, if I have this right, there will be new additional conferences, negotiations at the deputies level. And then Thursday and Friday of next next week at the principals level, everything's on the table. We'd love to go back to where we were in May, yeah. where we were a lot closer. And, you know, all the issues, the commodities, the tariffs, the ownership, the forced uh, transfer of technology, the IP theft, uh, the cyber hacking, all that will be on the table. And China has been buying some commodities. That's a goodwill gesture. So let's keep an open mind. I don't want to forecast. I'm just saying this is a good thing. We're yep. going into these negotiations. October 15th, the tariffs are set to go up. What do you need to see from the Chinese at those talks next week to prevent that from happening? Uh, I wouldn't want to make a judgment. These are calls that would be made by the president. We have a very strong negotiating team, as you know, Ambassador Bob Lighthizer. Uh, Secretary Steve Mnuchin, uh, no predictions. I, I never do that. All I'm saying is the Kudlow axiom, Jonathan, better to talk than not to talk. Coming into this, China has been buying some commodities, a small amount, but perhaps a good sign. We postponed our uh, next stage tariff dates as a goodwill measure. So let's see. You never know. You know, there could be some positive surprises coming out of these talks, okay? I'm not predicting, I'm just saying don't rule the, that out. There could be some positive surprises. Well, Larry, a lot of people will be watching this just thinking you're trying to get the market up by improving the mood music around the trade story. Let's talk specifics. What are the I'm things you want to see next you week? I'm just the truth. I, don't, I can't move markets. Neither you nor I can move I certainly markets. can't, Jonathan, Larry. 
Jonathan, you're a much more influential guy than I am. I so don't what think you that's true at all. Is you, what you say is much more important. Larry, let's it's talk not, about the look, storm that's taking place in D.C. A political just, storm just citing the in D.C. Yes. I agree with you. Let's talk about the political storm in D.C. I don't want to talk about the specifics. It's not your realm and it would be unfair to you. But I do want to ask you the following question. Whether the impeachment inquiry of the Democrats at the moment complicates your ability to go into these trade talks and get concessions from the Chinese in the trade discussions? Well, Jonathan, I do not think so. All right, I do not think so. I think the impeachment story, where we've been completely transparent on phone transcripts and uh, whistleblower releases and all the rest of that, I, I don't think that's an impact right now. I think it has only the tiniest, tiniest effect, maybe occasionally on stock market psychology. I don't buy it. Here, here's the point. Just consider this for a moment. Sure. Speaker Pelosi has been very difficult on impeachment. Okay. But, 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 she has been very accommodative and cooperative on USMCA. Very important. Now, I think, and I think Ambassador Lighthizer shares this view, a lot of the moderate Democrats who were elected from Republican and Trump districts are leery of impeachment. They may go along. I don't know. We'll see. But they wish to tell their constituents they got something done. And USMCA is huge for farmers, manufacturers, auto workers, intellectual property, technology investment, digital services, financial services. It's worth a half a percent of GDP increase over a period of time. A couple hundred thousand jobs. So what I'm saying is, okay, you've got impeachment. I understand that. Yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, many of the work together. Democrats may wish to show that they can work with Republicans to produce a pro-growth package that benefits every single economic sector. So I remain optimistic about that point, and I believe Speaker Pelosi, as I say, she's being tough on impeachment, but she's been very open and accommodative on trade. Color me optimistic. I'm taking the over on the USMCA trade deal. Larry, I've got one final question for you. The president in the last 24 hours said China should start an investigation into the Bidens. If you go into trade talks next week and the Chinese ask you about that comment, how do you explain it? Uh, I have not spoken to the president on that. Uh, it doesn't really sound like that's going to have much of an impact, if anything, on the uh, China trade talks. I do know that we continue to monitor the Hong Kong freedom and democracy movement, which the U.S. supports very strongly, that could impinge on those talks. Uh, I, I can't say you have to ask the president uh, about the uh, uh, issue of China looking at other corruption matters. I can't speak to that. But you can assure us, Larry, that that won't be part of the discussions next week. Well, Jonathan, in some sense, I can't assure you of anything. But I would say my own expectation is that's not going to be front and center when Lighthizer and Mnuchin speak with Vice Premier Liu He. I think, look, let's go back to this. Let's close on this. I think in the last month there has been a softening in the psychology of the trade talks on both sides. I think China needs a deal. President Trump has said he will make a deal provided it's a good deal that will defend American interests. And again, I want to go back. 
you don't think these uh, these numbers are coming out good? Take a look under the hood. We're running almost 400,000 household jobs per month. That is a leading indicator of a stronger Larry. economy. And by the way, last point, Jonathan, give me okay, one more. Okay. The housing sector, look at the housing sector. It's a leading indicator of the economy with interest rates way down, right? Starts, permits, existing and new home sales Larry, and pending home sales are all up. You know in this interview is closing months. and you know that the people around us are shouting us to close out the interview, but you also know the household survey is not a leading indicator for anyone on Wall Street for the US economy either. Larry, you do know that. I know you know that because you would I never put you would never put I, your name on a piece of Southside research that said that. I beg your pardon. You know, when I was doing this for a living on Wall Street a long time ago, yeah. we used to look at households. And when I was reporting on CNBC in one of the hey. great historic television shows, we used to look at the household employment all the time. You got to look under the hood. Look, from the households come the unemployment and the participation rates. All I'm saying is, look, maybe I'm wrong. OK, you can chastise me in a couple months if I'm wrong. I just really like what I see. 400,000 new jobs in households per month. I think that shows you a turning zone up for the economy. Hey, Larry, we're both going to get in trouble. I know you've got to be elsewhere. Larry Cudlow there. Always appreciate your honesty and for catching up with you as well from outside the White House. Larry Cudlow. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.